one of us to help That's you. true, that's true. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Kevin and, and Kenny. And uh, yeah, exciting things for us. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter number two. Uh, Galatians chapter number two. Again, in just a few moments, we'll stop and uh, have a time to say good morning. But I, I wanted to share just a couple things uh, prior uh, to doing that. Last week, we finished up, if you, if you haven't been here uh, we've, in a while, uh, we have started the book of Galatians and just working our way verse by verse through it. And uh, last week, uh, what we shared, the main point of last week's message was that God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him and and what we did and when we finished chapter number one is is we went to not the last verse of the chapter to finish but we went to verse number 10 where Paul said if I were trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ actually that's the first time the word please or a form of the word please is used in chapter number one we also see in verse 16 where Paul said that it pleased God to reveal Jesus to me and then I went and preached him and one of the important things that went along with this with this point behind me last week was Paul did not say God revealed Jesus to me then I went and preached and then he was pleased with me Paul really chose to highlight it's not about what I did that pleased God I want to highlight the fact that God found great pleasure in revealing Jesus to me and we, we, that, that thought was highlighted even more when we went to Hebrews eleven six, where we read that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and this takes us to, back to this truth that God's pleasure is not found in what we do for him. And if we ever get that in our heads, we are going the wrong way. God is not waiting for us to please him by what we do. God is very pleased with why we do what we do. God is not looking for a bunch of mindless robots just doing things. He wants faithful followers who strive to obey him because we have faith in him. So important for us to realize God does see what we do, but God is not pleased by what we do if what we do is not backed up or sourced in faith. And so this goes to the question of why'd you come to church today? And there's churches all across our country, all across the world today, and there are people who showed up today because they're supposed to. There are people in churches all over our country today who are there because they feel like they have to. There's some who feel like if I go, God will bless me. Others are there because they want people to notice I'm here. But I really believe the reason God wanted you to leave your house today and end up in this location. This is, this is not the church. You're the church. But the reason God wanted you to leave your homes today and gather together as the church today is because you have so much faith in God that you know he sent me here today because he is going to use me for his glory. 
See, if we walked into church today without that idea, what we could do is we could walk in, we could find a seat, we could sit down, we could not talk to anybody. We could slide out as soon as church is over and think, I went to church today, God's pleased with that. But that's just doing. Oh, the reason I wanted to wait before we shook hands today and get a chance to talk to one another today is because I want you to think this and I want you to pray with me before we stand up and shake hands. Why did God send you to church today? Why did God send you to this gathering today? If you really had faith that he sent you for his glory, who does he want you to encourage in just a few moments? Who, who is it in this gathering right here that God said, I want you to have so much faith in me that I will give you the words to speak to someone and when they leave today, they are gonna think, you know what? God sent me someone today. Woo, that's what God wants from you. He doesn't want you to show up, open up your Bible, sit there, close your Bible and leave. He wants you to use the spiritual gifts that he has given to you to be an encouragement to this body. So in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and pray. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, if, if I really believed you sent me here today, what is it you want me to say? And who do you want me to say it to? And then when we stand and shake hands, let's just be a whole bunch of spirit-filled people who are being moved by faith that God has something for me to do today in the midst of this body of people. Oh, if, we can't, if we can't look at other church members and say, man, can I encourage you with a word? Can I stop and pray with you? If we can't do that here, where are we gonna do it? So would you pause and would you pray? And would you say, God, I, I didn't come today just to sit. God, I, I, wanna, I wanna be a faithful follower. I wanna please you with my faith. Lord, place someone on my heart right now that's in this room. Or place a location if you want me to turn around or if you want me to move forward. Do you want me to move to my left or to my right? What can I say? Who can I pray with? And Lord, I am going to step out in faith, believing that you set up this divine appointment for me today. Father, you know that there's a lot of hearts in here that are like, I don't know about this, but you told us that if we have the faith that is the size of a grain of mustard seed, that's not that much faith because it's not the amount of our faith that's important. It's the object of our faith that's important. And Lord, if you have a group of people in here whose, whose faith is in Jesus. Together as a body, we can move mountains. I pray that you'd help this, this moment of just shaking hands, of just saying hi to one another. I pray that it would be a, a time of faith that is pleasing to you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, why don't you stand? Say good morning to somebody around you. And step out in faith. My prayer, church, family, my prayer is that every time you walk in the side doors or you walk in the back door, anytime you walk into this place,
place. Again, this is not the church. You're the church. But anytime you walk into this building that we get a chance to meet in, I pray that you walk in with faith, that God has sent you here for a purpose. And it's more than just to take up a chair. Uh, God, God has sent you because you are one of his children carrying a gift that can be valuable to someone else. This statement, though, that God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him, while it initially may give us this, yes, man, that's wonderful. That means God's not just looking down, seeing what I am and I'm not do. At some point, it can lead, it can lead some people to think, but wait a second. You mean there's absolutely nothing that I can do to, to earn God's pleasure? Nothing? I can't give, I can't go, I can't be, I can't do any of these things and it earns God's pleasure. And this is where having a right, a whole, like a complete view of the gospel is so important because there are two, two ways that, that Christianity wants to pull as we follow Jesus. One way is legalism. We want to we get pulled that there are things we can do to earn God's favor. And the other side is hypocrisy, where, where we start saying, well, this is what I believe and this is who I am, but that's not how we live. And so legalism and, and legalism and hypocrisy are two great enemies of, of faith. And so as we come to church regularly, it's like, hey, did you come to do more than sit in a chair? Did you offer truth and hope to someone today? Yeah, that, that's what I hope that you just did. And it's just the faith of a grain of mustard seed because there's this constant pull to legalism, having the right behavior. Like I showed up for church today. Well, because I was supposed to. Or or there's some who would tell you it's so important to gather, but then not the, the right belief, but the wrong behavior. And the main point of today's message that we're just going to continue to try to come back to is that only the gospel offers full deliverance from the burden of legalism and the deceit of hypocrisy. Because the gospel speaks to both. It it speaks into the legalist who says, I can earn God's favor. And it speaks to the hypocrite who says, it really doesn't matter what I do. Oh, actually, the gospel speaks into both. And it's actually the battle that Paul is trying to, to talk about, or he's trying to address here in Galatians. And, and as we finish the first chapter last week, just a quick summary for those who may not have, have been here. He's, Paul's writing a letter to a group of Galatian believers. He's preached the good news that faith in Jesus is all one needs for one's way to God and one's right standing with God. He's had a group of people come behind him to say, no, what Paul said is not complete. Yes, you need faith in God, but you also need works. You also must accomplish these, these Jewish rituals and traditions. And Paul is saying, no, that's, that's false. That's a false gospel. That is not true. And as we read today, we have to remember that Galatians was not written to us. Paul didn't pen these letters to you and me. Paul wrote this letter to a group of real people in a real time facing a real issue. And this is his real response to it. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. 
because we still face many of these same issues today and because what Paul wrote was Holy Spirit inspired it's still alive and true today because the same Holy Spirit that walks with us through our struggles is the Holy Spirit that gave Paul counsel on what to say to the Galatians and in that first chapter we ended last week as Paul was starting to give his testimony of his, his time of who he was before meeting Jesus and his conversion with Jesus. And then all of, if you were here last week, we went through and we, let, we read everything that Paul said he did after his conversion and his obedience for Jesus. And he used all of that as his, as his authority to say, here's the reason why I'm addressing the wrong thinking in this church. And we closed last week with Galatians 1.10 which to me was not the last verse of the chapter, but it's the hinge verse of the chapter. Actually, it's the hinge verse of chapter two as well, where Paul says, this is why I'm willing to step in and address something when I could just step out and leave it alone. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? And then this, this shocking statement, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And this is, the, this is the attitude that every follower of Jesus must have because if you are going to follow Christ, if you are going to say, I will serve Jesus, it will bring you into conflict with man. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in little ways. But if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know following him has cost you in some kind of a relationship. This past Tuesday, uh, Robbie and I and our wives got to take the youth group uh, to a minor league baseball game in Lynchburg. It was a lot of fun. But uh, there was a bat boy uh, there who our kids kept uh, going down and saying, hey, throw me a ball. Hey, throw me a ball. And at one point, uh, he went out and grabbed a bat. And my wife said, he's got BB on the back. And as soon as she said that, I, I, it, took, it just threw me back to, I was about 10 years old. I was the bat boy for my brother's softball team, my church softball team. They were called the Angels, and my brothers were not angels. Just want to tell you that. Uh, but they were called the Angels. And they, they made, a, made a shirt where I would have one that matched them, but on the back it said BB. And I loved wearing it when we'd play uh, pickup games of baseball. And I remember one specific Wednesday afternoon, we were playing baseball in the, in the little neighborhood lot. We had a lot of guys that had shown up from somewhere else that we didn't know, that, that we didn't know everyone. And it was about five o'clock and I knew I got to go. But I was a pitcher for my team. And I told the guys, I'm like, I, I got to leave. And they're like, why? I said, our, I got to go to church. And like, it's Sunday. It's not Sunday. It's Wednesday. Like, I know our, our family goes to church on Wednesday. Like, well, that's stupid. You're the pitcher. You can't leave. And I was like, I, I got to go. I remember I had a cool bat and so I picked up my bat my ball glove and I walked away and these guys that I did not know they're like oh BB Baptist boy <laughs> going to church see a Baptist boy and that's so stupid now but when I was 10 years old that was a big deal I didn't want to be called a Baptist boy I don't want my friends to make fun of me. I just wanted to fit in. But I knew our family, this is what our family's gonna do. It's a lot different when you're 41 years old and the Lord says, follow me. 
And we're going to take you somewhere where you don't know anybody. And not everyone's going to be thrilled that you're going to leave. See, following Jesus is at some point going to bring you into conflict with pleasing man. We watched earlier this, week, earlier this year as the man who normally stood there for the years that I've been a part of this church and played his guitar faithfully for this church stood up and said, hey, um, I love you, but I love him more. And he's telling me to go to Poland for his sake. So see ya. And I know there's some of us like, ah, Micah, no. And for Micah, you talk to him? That man can't wait to get where God wants him to go. But he's doing that because he's not seeking the approval of man. How much easier would it be to stay where he's already loved and wanted? But, well, the struggle is, am I going to live to please man? Or am I gonna live to please God? And as we read chapter two, what we have to keep in mind is Paul is going to address the legalist and the hypocrite with the gospel. And it's so beautiful, but it keeps coming back to this verse. Do you want to please God or do you want to please man? Look at verse one of Galatians chapter number two. This is what Paul writes. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. I'm going to pause after those first three verses. So, so, here's, so if, you've, if, you, if you're here with us last week, this makes sense. If you weren't here with us last week, this may be like, what are you talking about? At the end of chapter one, Paul is rehearsing everything that he did after his conversion. So he's just continuing on with this list of people and places. And he says, 14 years after my conversion, I returned to Jerusalem because the Lord told me to go through a revelation. And I brought with me a young elder named Titus. And I went to Jerusalem because I had to talk to the apostles of Jesus. Those 11 men that walked and talked with Jesus, I, I also walked and talked with Jesus, but we were at different times. And I wanted to make sure that when I was preaching the gospel that I received from Jesus, they were preaching the same gospel and that they were actually living it out. Because I don't want to be doing this in vain. And then in verse number three, and we'll pick up what they talked about in just a moment. But in verse three, he says, in Titus, this young elder who was with me, he was not forced to be circumcised. Okay, all right, what is that supposed to mean? Well, well circumcision was a Jewish ritual. And remember, that's what the, what the Judaizers were saying. Yes, you need Jesus plus rituals. He said he was not forced to be circumcised. Like every Jewish male at, at eight days had to be circumcised. Any man that wanted to join the Jewish system had to be circumcised. And, and Paul was saying, hey, hey, does this man, in your mind, as you understand the gospel, does he need to do the same thing? He's following Jesus, but does he need to become Jewish? That's really the answer, or that's really the question that's being asked here. And I know you think, well, this is so stupid. This really doesn't apply to us, but oh my goodness, this applies to us in a huge way. Because here's the question, would Titus, this Gentile convert, need to partake in a Jewish ritual to be completely accepted into the family of God? 
And here's why it's important. If this Gentile at this time would not be fully accepted without fulfilling the Jewish rituals, then at what time would any Gentile be accepted without fulfilling the Jewish rituals? We may not understand this, but Paul was standing on behalf of Titus and every other Gentile that would come to Christ after Titus. That's us. We read this and we got to say, okay, so what Paul is asking is, is, is faith in Jesus enough or is there something else? And that matters to us because we have to ask that same question. Do I have to do anything else in order to become a part of the family of God other than have faith in Christ? Tim Keller, I love what he said. He wrote when, when I was reading his commentary through Galatians, he said, he said this about this, this, this play right here of circumcision. He said the gospel that Paul was preaching reminds us that what people see on the outside has to do with our doing. What people don't see on the inside has to do with our being. And Christianity is, not, is about who I am in Christ, not about what I do for him. Who I am in Christ, not about what I do for him. And so Paul responds, if you look back to Galatians 2, verse number four, this is what he says. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So just pause. So Paul, he's penning this letter to the Galatians saying, I stood up for Titus because I wanted the truth of the gospel to be preserved for you believers in Galatia. And the truth of the gospel is faith in Jesus alone. Verse number six, he says, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul said, I didn't matter who I was talking to. I was gonna continue to say the same thing. You are trying to pull us into something other than just faith in Christ alone. And I would not stand for it no matter who you were. And Paul, it's interesting he uses the words freedom and slavery here. Now, whenever we, whenever we think of freedom and slavery and Paul's a Jew, we cannot forget he's thinking he's going to go all the way back to Exodus. Where the Jews were living in slavery and Christ freed them. He wanted to lead them to the promised land, but do you remember every time there was a struggle or there was a barrier or there was a problem? Do you remember what many of the Israelites said to Moses? Ah, got no food. Take us back to Egypt. Wait, wait, you want to go back to slavery? God will provide. Oh, we got no water. You brought out here to die. Just take us back to Egypt. And this is what Paul is fighting. He said, you have been freed from the slavery and from the bondage of the law. And you have been freed by grace through Christ. And you, 
You want to go back to slavery again? I'm not going to stand for that. Paul makes this point that it's not just for Titus, it's for the Galatians and in turn for all of us. So he stands up to this opposition. But then look at verse number seven. He also talks about his support. In verse number seven, he, he writes this, he says, on the contrary, meaning there were some who opposed me, but then there's also some who were for me. On the contrary, when they, the apostles of Jesus, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's to the Gentiles, that's anyone who's not a Jew. I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the circumcised for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, now this word Cephas is Peter in some, in some of your translations, but just so you know, that's the apostle Peter. When James and Cephas or Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here's what Paul's saying. I went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and I stood up to those guys who said that, that anyone had to follow the Jewish ritual law and I spoke the gospel into that legalistic thought and said, no, that is not true. It is by faith alone. Christ has freed us. There's, there's freedom and you're trying to put us back into slavery. And Paul will pick that up again later. He said, but then I talked to these three pillars, Peter, James, and John. These were the guys that were with Jesus. They were there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that very night. These are the leaders of the Jesus movement. And when I spoke to them, they said, wow, man, the same gospel you're preaching to the Gentiles is the same gospel we're preaching to the Jews. Brothers, we are in agreement. Now, Paul, as you go, remember the poor. And Paul said, I was already doing that. And I was eager. To so, so here we go. The gospel then, because Paul was wanting to please God, and because these apostles were wanting to please God more than men, it's like, oh, so this, this worked out really well, right? So when you have people who both want to please God, it works out really good. Well, not all the time. Because look at what we find next in verse 11. But when Cephas, this is Peter again. When Peter came to Antioch, and I, I'm sorry that I have to explain this, but for those of you who wouldn't know, Antioch is a place of Gentile believers. The Acts tells us it's where people were first called Christians. So Peter is going to go to a city where there's a group of Gentile believers. And it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Uh-oh. Paul is opposing Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, once again, pause, James, pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Therefore, these are people coming from Jerusalem, the Jews. Before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
So, so you got to understand this. I'm sorry that I'm taking the time, but I want to make sure you know. So Paul says Peter was hanging out with these Gentiles. He was eating with them. And it doesn't just mean he sat down at a table with them. Eating with someone was an acceptance of them. It's why people freaked out when Jesus sat and ate with the tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with them? Yeah, that's because he was accepting of them. So Peter was accepting these Gentiles, but then when these Jews from Jerusalem came, he backed off because he was scared of what they would think. And look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Oh, I love this. You got to really understand. So these are the two leaders of Christianity at this present time in the world. Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles. Peter, the leader of the Jews. And Peter had come to visit the Gentiles and he started acting in a way that he shouldn't have acted. He was not accepting of the Gentiles only because there were Jews in his place. And Paul stood up and opposed him to his face and said, oh no, you can't do that. That is not the gospel. Either these men are accepted or they're not. You can't play both sides. And see, before we get upset to be like, well, I don't know if Peter really understood. Peter had had a gospel moment. We read, it, read it, we read about it in Acts chapter 10. Peter has this vision, and it's a crazy vision, but bear with me. A sheet is lowered down with unclean animals, and Peter said, go rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, I can't. Those are unclean animals. To the Jews, they're unclean animals. A second sheet is lowered. Same thing, rise and eat. And he said, I can't. A third sheet is lowered. And finally, Peter, when he said rise and eat, he says, I have never had anything unclean in my life. I'm not about to start now. And in the vision, God says, don't you call anything unclean that I have made clean. And if you read Acts 10, Peter says, I don't really understand. I didn't understand the vision. But as soon as that vision was over, as soon as the vision was over, there was a knock at my door. I went to the door. There were three Gentiles standing there. And one of them said, our master named Cornelius wants to talk to you. And Peter walked with them. But here's what Peter said in Acts 10. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter had had this gospel moment already in his life and now he is not living in step with the gospel because he's drawing back from someone based on who was in his presence. And Paul called him out on it and said, that's not the gospel. In the gospel, we are all one in Christ. So we have the hypocrite with the gospel applied. And we have the legalist with the gospel applied. And why did both of those conflicts arise? Because we had people trying to please men and not God. 
What did Paul say would happen when we tried to please men that we would no longer serve Christ? So how does the gospel apply to legalism when there's right behavior coupled with a wrong belief? And how does the gospel apply to hypocrisy when there's right belief coupled with wrong behavior? Well, the gospel reminds us of the source of our righteousness. It is not in what we do but it also reminds us of the necessity of our holiness, that it really matters what we do. What we do is not where we find our righteousness, but we sure can't look into the righteousness of Christ and live a sinful life and say, yeah, that's who I am. See, the gospel says to the legalist, your righteousness does not come from your good works. Keep all of the law you want to and you won't gain one measure of righteousness. The Bible tells us how to be more righteous. The Bible tells us how to find more glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Behold the glory of Jesus and as we do, his glory comes to us moment by moment, glory by glory. As we behold who Jesus is, we become more like Jesus. Not we go out and do things like Jesus to be more like him. We behold who he is and he transforms us. But as he transforms us, guess what we do? We go out and do things like Jesus. But not because we want to be more holy. Because he's making us more holy. And the gospel says to the hypocrite that God demands more than flattering words. He demands holy living. He said, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Not be holy because everybody else needs to see you be holy. Be holy because I am holy. And our churches are filled today with people who will gather, raised arms sometimes, crying out, tears flowing down their cheeks as they come and they worship God but return to their homes of sin. That's the no, that's, that's not at all what I want or what I desire. It's what the prophets in the Old Testament were saying. You were honoring him. You, you kept coming back to the temple thinking you could live however you wanted to. But whenever you came to the temple, everything was all right. And God said, I am rejecting your sacrifices. I am rejecting your offerings. You know what I want? I want your heart. That's what God still says today. The gospel reminds us of our source of righteousness and the necessity of our holiness. But the gospel also reminds us of the bondage of pleasing man and the freedom in following Christ. We all know what it's like to please man. Except for today where I was given a shirt to wear and so were a whole bunch of you. (laughs) You know what I do most Sunday mornings? I stand in front of my closet and I'm like, What could I wear today where I won't be criticized? Oh, I'm serious. Do I wear a tie today? If I wear a tie today, somebody's going to say, you don't need to dress up in church. If I don't wear a tie today, somebody's going to say, you need to dress up in church. Do I put on a suit coat today? If I don't put on a suit coat, I know there's going to be some people who think the pastor needs to wear a suit coat. But if I don't wear a suit coat, there's going to be some people who are going to say, I'm so glad the pastor's not wearing a suit coat. I remember Trent, it was probably three years ago. I walked in the back door and you were sitting there like dressed like you are today, polo and shorts. And I'm, this is what I said to him. I still remember this conversation. I said, I'm gonna come in here like that one day, polo and shorts. And here's, here's what I expected him to say. You can't do that, you're the pastor. No one's gonna listen to you. No one's gonna respect you if you stand behind the pulpit with a polo and shorts. And, but that's not what he said. You know what he said? 
I don't care what you're wearing as long as you bring to us what God wants you to bring to us. I was like, uh, I've never heard that. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I am, I am as serious as I can be. I've never heard that. There is a dress code that a pastor must wear because you're not going to bring the holy word of God if you could see my hairy legs, right? <laughs> I understand the decorum. I understand the respect. I get that. But what you said was so freeing to me. And I truly appreciated that because there have been times where I have been accused. I have been criticized because I don't wear a tie. And I said, as I was preparing this, I was like, you know what? You know what I'm going to do next Sunday? I'm just going to stand in front of my, my closet and I'm going to say, hey, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to wear today? A pair of jeans? And a polo? Okay. Now, my wife had this set out for me, so I didn't get a chance to do that. <laughs> I really wanted to do that. But may I tell you why I have a tan suit coat on today? Because I'm worried about what people would say. I'm just being honest with you. You see, yeah. You see what, what, what the gospel says the gospel says, I don't need to give you a list of what you must do and must not do. I'll tell you one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. You know, if we did that, we wouldn't need a list of what we should and shouldn't do. I mean, when Jesus quoted the Ten Commandments, he said you could hang all the law and all the prophets, boom, love God, love your neighbor. Then why, then why do we have so many expectations on one another? Now, I got to follow it up by saying this. The gospel doesn't say I am free to live however I want. The gospel brings me freedom from having to live how you want me to live. The gospel frees me from that. But as, as, I could tell, as, as I've already told you, I'm still in bondage to that. I am. I don't want to be, but I am. But the gospel has freed me from living for your expectations, but it hasn't freed me to live how I want. Oh no, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't say you don't have to worry about what people think. Just do what you want to do. No, the gospel says that you don't have to worry about what people think, but you do have to worry about what the Holy Spirit says. And he is a holy spirit. Not an unholy spirit. That means when I stand in front of my closet and say, Holy Spirit, what would you want me to wear today? He is not going to tell me anything that would be in contrast to the word of God. He might tell me something that would be in contrast to your thoughts, but he is not going to tell me anything that's in contrast to the word of God. That's the freedom that the gospel offers. The problem is the legalist at heart says, I still have to please man. I have to, have to please man. And the hypocrite says, I, I have to make you think this is what I'm going to do, even though it's not what I'm going to do. And the gospel says, I bring freedom to 
both. You don't have to follow man. You follow the Spirit of God alone. Oh, and it is so freeing. So I'll be 100% transparent if I haven't been enough. And I'm going to I'm going to talk in general terms because I don't want to stick my nose into the business of how you moms and dads raise your families. But there's been something that my wife for, mm, I would say five or six years has said, hey, can I? And I've always been like, no, I don't think that'd be a good idea. Hey, can I? No, I don't think that's a good idea. So Jay and Lainey and Hillary and Jody were at our house for home groups last week. And my wife goes and tells everybody. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness. And both Bill and Maria were there too. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I cannot literally believe she just told everyone that Brian said, I can't do this because people in the church won't like it and some people might leave. She just... Like, we've had that conversation. You just made that conversation public. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I work on this sermon on Monday. And I'm like, if Paul were to show up, if Paul were to show up, he would look at me and he'd say, you're not living out the gospel. You're going to tell your wife she can't do something because of what other people in the church think? And so I, I texted her and I said, Jamie, let me be honest with you. I'm really sorry. I have made you live in bondage and I have lived in bondage to the fear of man. And while I think there is a, a respect that needs to be there, if you believe the Holy Spirit wants you to do something, you have my 100% full support because we are going to live out the gospel. I was a hypocrite. I was a legalist saying, oh no, I got to do this because this is what everybody expects. But then I'm standing up in front of you saying the gospel offers freedom. Well, not really. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the gospel offers freedom. I don't have to worry about what you think. I care about what you think because we have relationships that are important. I want to be your pastor. I want to lead you the right way. I want to shepherd your hearts. But more than anything, more than I want to please man, I want to stand in front of him someday and say, I served you even when it was hard. I served you even when I was criticized. I, I want Jesus to know he's first. And so if there's freedom in Christ, I'm 100% behind that freedom. That's what the gospel offers to the legalist and to the hypocrite. The gospel blows it up. And he, Paul's gonna continue on with this sermon and we'll pick it up there next week. But I just wanna encourage you. What is it that God wants you to do eat that you've been scared to do or that you haven't had the faith to do and the gospel offers the freedom that you need would you pray with me oh lord Whew. 
Yeah, I put it on the line today because I, I think that's what you wanted me to do. God, I pray we'd all live like that. I pray that we would all have the freedom that the gospel offers, that we would live it out, that we would have the faith to follow you. But Lord, we also need that Christian community because we can't live this out on our own. We need to have people speaking into our lives just like Peter had Paul and like Titus had Paul. We all need people to speak into our lives the truth of the gospel. And that's why you gave us this church. And it's not to come together to sit in one big room once a week. We need community. We need to be spending time with one another so that we can encourage our, each other's hearts in what the truths of the gospel really are. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness but that you give us grace. That those of us who are bound in wanting to please men, that we, we find our joy in living to please you. And Lord, that those who are bound in pleasing men with our words or pleasing you with our words, but then our lives don't back it up. God, would you give us holy obedience and know that the gospel speaks into all of it. We have freedom because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Lord, may our lives reflect that joyful freedom found in following Jesus this week. May it, may it, be, may it be shared with believers and unbelievers. God, may the gospel be a part of our every day, every moment lives. You've loved us enough to care for us. Lord, may we love you as we follow you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, may I encourage you. Oh, if you don't know Jesus, man, you are bound. You're bound in your sin. Oh, we don't want that. He doesn't want that for you. Oh, he has offered freedom through the cross. If you want to know more about Jesus, I'll be standing up front for a few minutes and then I'll be standing in the back as we leave. I would love to share that with you. We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows because that is so true. And Lord, and may, may these words, Lord, penetrate our hearts. May we truly sing because we believe these words. I don't want to be hypocrites. I don't want to be legalists. I want to be faithful followers of Jesus, obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. Help us to be that. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you